from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZON, Oleander Public Radio. Oh, did you guys see that the um, Evil Dead the musical is coming? Oh, I, have, I did, I but it really didn't click in because, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it was just like, oh, I'm not getting ads for The Empire Strips Back. I'm getting ads for Evil Dead in Portland. Okay. Because <laughs> for the last month, I've been getting ads for The Empire Strips Back in Portland. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to go see for that. <laughs> What's that? I'm still getting ads for Empire Strips back. What, what, what <laughs> websites have you been visiting? Oh, I, yeah, well, ones that are telling Apparently me not the ones thing. I've been visiting. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, all I've gotten was like I got the old Gods of Appalachia one, and then uh-huh. when that passed by, it was I got a few of the stripper ones, and then I've also got Dita Von Teese's um, thing she's got coming up in Seattle, and then I started noticing the um, they were like, oh, you've been to this a few times. Hey, Evil Dead the Musical is back. Same musical. Yeah, no. Guys should go at least once and sit in the splash zone. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my sister and brother law have gone. Cool. Oh, right on. Yeah. They, they have the red cool. shirts. <laughs> I wear I wore a white t shirt that said Dead by Dawn. Oh. Nice. So this week I am recording in my buddy JC's pantry because it's where I have the best sound. There's no oh. cats. And uh, his his wife was born and raised in Japan. Uh, his kids like spend summers in Japan, and I'm in their pantry, and it's all like uh, a lot of like canned. I mean, I'm not talking smack. I mean, they have like canned foods for like some stuff, and it's like a lot of it's like chunky soup and diced mangoes and like tomatoes and you know all the kinds of stuff. And then it's like. A bunch of stuff in Japanese, and I'm like, this is so awesome. And it's like, there's like so many different types of furikake here. This is crazy. <laughs> I have like five different varieties of furikake in my um, my cabinet alone. And then yeah. like, I have S and B powder, like the chili powder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see a whole bunch of that here. And then there's the 
I can't read any. Oh, oh yeah, hot sesame oil. Oh yeah. Then there's the uh, seasoned peppers and pink salt and garlic and all kinds of awesome stuff. And yeah. <laughs> Is there soy sauce? Just saying. Um, uh, 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 a massive jug of soy sauce. Uh? <laughs> a massive... Oh, I thought that was a John dies at the end. I was trying to make a John yeah, dies but... at the end. Joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's a massive jug of soy sauce for sure. But... <laughs> oh, indeed. And yeah, then there's I'll like be here all day, folks. Jokes. It's 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 funny. It's like nutter butters are right next to it. Green pocky. <laughs> nice. Anyway, enough of me smack talking, my friends. Uh, <laughs> How are you two doing this week? Well, I'm well. Yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm um, I'm looking forward to. I'm going to this um, Tokusatsu art show at the Nucleus tomorrow, so that oh, should be cool. Cool. Very yeah, I'm cool. super stoked for that. And then I'm gonna definitely check out that art exhibit out in St. John's. You know, Mike Bennett stuff. Very cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's just going to be kind of like a little odds and ends weekend. And then I'm hoping if the weather is not like crazy on Sunday that I'm, yeah. I want to check out the Lavender Farm. I Ooh. went last year and it was like deeply, disgustingly hot. And so it was yeah. very unfun. Yeah. Well, but this year it should be less disgustingly hot. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully it won't be so bad. Last it was like 109 when I went. And I was like, I am stupid. What am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> my lavender lemonade. ice cream. Lavender well, lemonade. That's Yes, exactly, exactly. Lavender lemonade and lavender ice cream. That's where it's at. This upcoming weekend, I'm going to be outdoors for three days in a row uh, selling plastic goods that I've printed and uh, Lovecraft posters and all that good fun stuff that I normally sell at these, these, these county fairs and uh, beer festivals and um glorified swap meets all throughout the pacific northwest but yeah yeah i'm gonna be out in north bonneville for three days hawking right my wares yeah yeah so how about you dave what you doing this weekend uh, i'm just yeah it's just gonna be a kickback day i got a I got a cyberpunk 2020 game on Saturday and a cyberpunk red game on uh, Sunday. And that's about it. Oh, oh that's awesome. That sounds like fun. I started playing uh, the, the video game again, cause it keeps getting updated and keeps having cool stuff happen with it. So yeah, it's slowly becoming a totally different game than the uh, games that I bought a year ago where like cars would shoot off into the sky <laughs> and people would T-pose, dance across the screen, and oh man, it was a mess. That game, oh, thank goodness that Netflix show came out, because otherwise, <laughs> people yeah. would have never found out that they fixed Cyberpunk. But yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, enough, I, enough, enough Cyberpunk. Enough Chrome, let's talk about some silver. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Remember how last week I was like, yeah, but I'm kind of limited on some of this stuff. And then you hit us with this guy, this stuff. Oh, yeah. This, this is the deep dive. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is like, I'm like, who, what? Who? I mean, I met Sandy Peterson because I happen to be a like a work at the film festival. Sure. And yeah. so he's nice fella. And he had yeah. some real, actually, I met him at Cthulhu Con where he was like toting his game. And then. Oh, cool. 
like the one that was like the the one where he made all the figures what's that at the at the crown plaza yeah 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 cthulhu wars was not him yep well i i mean i think he made it i don't yeah, the art stuff he's done, like Paul Camato did some work and um, other artists um, did some um, part of those figures that he made for the that game. But yeah, like so awesome. the Silver Lodge, the, the Silver Society. The Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight Lodge. There you go. Yep. So Who, what war? <laughs> yeah. We've so, talked so, about the uh, Red Lodge. We've talked about the Black Lodge. Now we're going to talk about the Silver Twilight Lodge, which is <laughs> less like uh, less like a bunch of uh, I don't know weirdos in a red room, and more like the creeps that hang out at a hotel and smoke cigars and talk about how to end the world. Like the like the Hellfire Club. Yeah, kind of. So so not to bring it back to cyberpunk. Yes, but I had a someone was talking to me saying I am just having so much difficulty catching up with all you know the 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 cyberpunk history and all the wars and stuff so I <laughs> like a, a a tutorial and my thought was you're lucky you're not trying to jump into call cthulhu yeah right so i think that there is only one other game that has influenced you know a fandom as yeah. much as the call cthulhu game and that would be Star Wars. Okay. Wow. Because a lot of the terms that you're familiar with in Star Wars came from are the, from the RP, RPG, yeah. Things like things like Twilight. Yeah. A lot of the characters' names, and, and it's the same thing in, in the '80s, especially when um, it became apparent that maybe Arkham House didn't have a claim that they yeah. thought they had. Uh, and people were looking for something other than D and D. That's what I really think jumped in, or the um, uh, the new wave, the new or the new wave of the eighties of the the Lovecraftian wave. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also happened to coincide with like newer ways and new thoughts of like role playing at the same time, where people exactly. like learned about Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's like. The people who were in the know knew about like the war gaming and you know got to learn about like chain mail and then get into like the early beginnings of D D, A D D, second edition D D. But before that, I mean you had other games coming out like Call of Cthulhu, which it's like, yeah, I don't want to play a wizard. I want to play something realistic, but not too realistic. And it's like getting to play in the 1920s, 1930s. You know, getting to play in, like, within our own timeline, our own world, but there's this other thing that's going on, this otherness that's that's corrupting our world. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have played Call of Cthulhu. Sure. Um, I played in, a like, a long, like, I think it was, like, three-year campaign. Yeah. Where we it was like spinning over the 1920s. Um, my friend Arthur, aka shout out to Wallaby, if you're listening to this show. Um, <laughs> this was um, a really long lasting campaign where um, my a group of friends we played like people from various professions. Like I'm, I think my character was a um, an auction house, um, uh-huh. like in the like an auction ran an auction house in the 1920s. Uh-huh. But she was also like. Um, 
like gay. So I was trying to do something subversive and different for the time period. And it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, we had a really good time. I think yeah. he coined this one term that like will ever stick in my mind as something that's really strange, which was a giraffe in the coal mine. Oh, and he okay. was describing like some monster we were looking at. And he goes, your brain basically goes, why is there a giraffe in this coal mine? Why? Hmm. Right. I mean, because it's like so absurd that your yeah. brain doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. That. And so that was really freaking cool. But um, the silver, the silver yeah. twilight I, is completely out of my depth. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's referenced in a bunch of stuff that I'm going to let Dave talk about in a few moments. Yeah. But I also feel like it's one of those things that if you've played like if anyone's casually played like Arkham Horror, they're going to run across the Silver Twilight and maybe they want to know what it is or uh, any other. There's a lot of other games out there, uh, video games uh, by Chaosium, uh, card games by Chaosium, a lot of like game stuff is what it is and what it's from because they're kind of like this perfect faceless uh villain almost or just like antagonist of some sort they don't necessarily have to be the end but you're gonna have to shoot some at some point in time or they're gonna jump into a room with guns and fire at you while you and your friends dive out the window into a waiting car and short round drives off and anyway Yes, but <laughs> Dave. So it started. Tell the people what they want to hear. It yeah. started in 1982, okay. and a Call of Cthulhu campaign book called Shadows of Yog Sothoth, which Peterson wrote. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not sure if I have it. So I actually, you can pick it up. I got it for uh, ten dollars at Drive Through RPG. Yeah. Okay. And I got the PDF so I could sort of scan through it. And the first section, and I think this was designed, as near as I can tell, for like adventures to throw into your campaign. Okay. So that it pops up. So you could be running a, a regular campaign and then you don't realize that these stories are related. And it does start, it's sort of a cult, cultish mm -hmm. organization, and it has two different tiers, sort of the open front, hey, have fun, have a beer and a cigar, and pay your dues, and then the higher level that's the, the secrets. Yeah. Like the Illuminati? Like, yeah. they have paintings of Pikmin's, Pikmin's paintings they let Pikmin paint a wall in the Boston chapter. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to look at it makes you go crazy. Wicked crazy. Yes. Uh, and, and for as near as I can tell, I mean, they look like they're pretty standard. You know, there are a lot of stuff that they could throw in. And I don't want to yeah. spoil. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, but the game really sort of encourages players to join and get yeah. caught up in it. And yeah. one of the nice things, there's about six pre-made adventures, but then there's kind of just hooks, which are like half-filled up adventures. Mm -hmm. And one of those takes place in Stovakarv or Hungary. Okay. 
which is based on you know Robert the Black Howard. Stone, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, you know, and the fun part is you you look in all these classic sort of nineteen eighties line drawing portraits and and pictures that just sort of capture much more about the eighties than they ever will the twenties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, the uh, 80s idea of the 20s and 30s is kind of what early Call of Cthulhu looks like, even in regards to like the uh, typography and layouts of the mm. the books. It's trying to look like something from the 1920s, fellas and gals. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, it's I, I really thought it was really kind of cool. And I did that a lot, too, with like, I don't know. Probably like my artwork from like the mid 2000s to like the early 20 teens was very kind of, I don't know, influenced by that kind of stuff. Anyhow. But yeah. And, um, and you can, it does also with the sort of fits in with the, the 1980s, early 90s Call of Cthulhu. When you look at all the NPCs, Yes. Only about five percent are female, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, that's just something that I've I've noticed a lot of those early NPC stories, and that I mean the early Call of Cthulhu stories, and that might or not be based on Lovecraft himself. Yeah, that's the thing that I've always just assumed. It's like uh, someone who writes an interesting female character for uh, Call of Cthulhu. It's like, well, I guess they're uh, I don't know if it was a Lovecraftian story. Maybe E. Hoffman Price wrote part of it, or yeah, <laughs> who knows? Um, yeah, uh, or, or one of one of the other many co-writers that Lovecraft had that could actually write female protagonists or even yeah. characters. Uh, I'm also, also, I will say one thing about this. Yes. One of the stories does take place on Easter Island. Oh, okay. Is is that from uh, Shadows of Yog Sothoth? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I am familiar with that one. Yes. That's yeah, so. one of my favorites. I was gonna say I'm mostly familiar with the uh, with the lodge through uh, Shadows of Yog Sothoth, which. Yes, uh, I have actually never played Call of Cthulhu. I've only ever keepered it. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I think yes. at, the time, at the time with, you know, the mask of Norlothotope, this was probably its second biggest sort of campaign until, you know, Beyond the Mountains of Madness came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, you can use them like cartoonish villains. Um, the head, my, the head for my, uh, um, the head of the Silver Twilight in my campaigns, I got to do a really funny uh, William F. Buckley Jr. impersonation. Okay. Fuck that guy. But, you kids um, even know who William F. Buckley is. Anymore. I don't know. I don't know. I just know about him from like 
looking for like specific things about the uh, Warren Commission as a teen, and like the library is like, yeah, we have all kinds of like um, uh, this episodes of the show on PBS, and I'm like, oh, okay. Like pop it in, and it's like this smug asshole talking about like how liberals have their plans, and you know it's like to to move the Warren Commission in one way, and I'm like, who the hell is this asshole? <laughs> but I had to look up who William F. Buckley was. Look him up, look him up. Oh man, if you think like Tucker Carlson was bad, William F. Buckley like was convincing, and he was like buddies with uh, I don't know uh. Nixon's plumbers and anyhow not a cool guy kind of a smarmy butthole sounds like it the type of person you'd want to lead the Twilight Lodge (laughs) yes exactly exactly Uh, somewhere between like Cobra Commander and uh, yeah (laughs) Bill Buckley (laughs) so yeah no uh, Silver Twilight there's a lot you can do with it as a writer if you know, you get permission, or you just change it around so it's not the sil- hermetic order of the Silver Twilight. I could see it being a good, like, MacGuffin plot device type thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, like, actually, it's just a sex club, and but the investigators and everyone in town is led to believe it's, like, this 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 occult thing, and it's, like, the inner circle's just actually just a bunch of swingers. But- yeah. <laughs> And then the actual people are doing it are the people who are playing in the band for the people who are just in the lounge. What? Twist. (laughs) Or even an enemy of my enemies, you know, that they don't want, you know, Azathoth to wake up because they want Yogg-Sagoth to take over. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. I've used them like that for sure. Yeah, no. Or... They're the ones who raise up a god, and then, like, the god eats them all is, like, satisfied for a little bit, and then just, like, goes back away. Like, well, that worked. For now. Dun, dun, dun. Anyhow. Enough of this Silver Twilight stuff. I think we've uh, talked about it enough. I think that we've covered it as well or in-depth as anybody has in the history of history. <laughs> All right. So, Dave, you're going to talk about something in the middle. Uh, what's what's it this week? We're going to be talking about urban legends and things that grew up about Lovecraft that may not be true and one that turns out probably is true. Ooh. I, I can't wait to hear about that. All right. We'll talk about that. Oh, Dave will talk about that after the break. And then after that, we're going to be talking about a movie that Dave picked, I yes. believe. You picked. No, yeah. I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, Dave did. It, it feels Dave, like a movie. Two Coscarelli films in a row. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, last week's, uh, I keep wanting to say Evil Dead 3. No, uh, <laughs> Bubba Hotep. And uh, this week's film... Uh, John dies at the end. Same director. And yeah, let's uh, talk about that in a bit. Okay. All right. Um, moving on to the next part. Just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide 
at the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. Oh, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. Everybody, it's Dave again, and uh, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about urban legends and Mr. One Mr. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Now that I'm old enough that I can say that I first heard of the concept of urban legends, we didn't even call them urban legends. We call them faux stories. F O A F, friend of a friend stories. Uh, when they first came out. I had heard about them. It was my second year of college in an anthropology class. When we studied uh, the writings of uh, Jan Harald Rundvold, who pretty much popularized the the foe for the urban legend uh, in America in in the 80s. So I'm going to start off, surprisingly, with something I would swear I was going to tell you is this friend of a friend story, and a lot of these come up on the internet about Lovecraft. But before I recorded this, I was able to find sort of maybe a documentation of that. And that is the time that Lovecraft saw UFO. Now, in 1909, there was this spurge of reports of airships, including airships with big lights on them. And there was a businessman who basically said, hey, this is my project, Uh, these are my people, I got it from a mechanic, uh, and we're all going to get rich off of this. And on Christmas in 1909, people went crazy with this story. A lot of ways where, you know, we have UFO flaps now. And on Christmas Eve, there was a light that appeared over Providence. And apparently, according to the story, Lovecraft says, no, that's not this airship everyone's talking about. It is, in fact, the planet Venus, which turned out it was. Now, that sounded like an urban legend to me. Well, it looks like apparently some documentation that it does appear in 
some of Lovecraft's letters, this story. And I'm actually uh, going to try to purchase the, the book that, that's citing as, uh, and it's a, one of the Lovecraft collections by S.T. Joshi, but apparently that's a true story. And until I did a little bit more dive, I'd only heard it about a month ago, and the source that I had heard it from was actually, you know, I heard them try to pass Lovecraft off as real some of his stories, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So I was doubtful, but apparently a UFO, I mean, Lovecraft called a UFO hoax a UFO hoax and explained what was going on. Here's the interesting part, and this part you can actually look up in, you know, in um, Wikipedia. That businessman I was talking about, apparently he was duped. Apparently he believed that this airship was in existence by a con man and he became sort of the front because he believed it without actually seeing it. Well, his name was Tillinghast, who of course is the mad scientist in From Beyond Lovecraft's story. And if this story, which apparently is true, and Lovecraft was, and there's no reason to believe even if that story wasn't true, that Lovecraft hadn't heard of the, you know, the uh, uh, airship hoax, you know, in the early 1900s. I mean, 120 years later, I had heard about it on the other coast, so I'm sure he had heard about it. I cannot believe that that's where he, he didn't get the name Tillinghast from that. So let's talk about some other things that are said about Lovecraft and aren't true. And a lot of these appeared in the internet in early time, early 90s, the, the, the naughty aughts, things like that, where there's more, now there's more understanding of Lovecraft. There's much more ways to fact check it. And I have to admit, even I had passed some of these stories on. Um, so, a couple of years ago, I was at um, Rose City Comic Con. And this guy was there doing a presentation on this new science fiction role-playing game. Uh, and I had some time to kill, and I was interested in supporting, you know, tabletop role-player creators. And it had nothing to do but, but he was just sort of... I can't remember why I got on the subject... But the guy doing the panel, the head of the panel, you know, for some reason was talking about strange deaths. And he said the strangest death was that he'd ever heard was Lovecraft, who died in Boston by drowning and his lungs were full of water, but that he, there was no, you know, he was on dry land. You know, I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. But I had to be that guy. Well, uh, actually, uh, Lovecraft died of cancer. And, you know, and I said it, and the, the guy, you know, he backed off. And he basically said his brother had told him that story and that he had believed it. So maybe it only existed in that family. But there's other urban legends, obviously. Uh, one urban legend that I had heard, and this was by... A pre-QAnon alt-right webpage. And, and why was I in a pre-QAnon alt-right webpage? Because the logarithm or whatever hooked it up enough that it was Lovecraftian that it got to me. In which he claimed in 1928 
that the FBI raided some city in Massachusetts and carted them all off in jail and took their guns. And and I think this might have been what the thing was linked to me because I was pretty active on that time uh, on WebPress and it was a web WebPress article. Somebody said, "Oh, well, that's obviously you know." Uh, the shadow over Innsmouth, but I didn't realize that Lovecraft had based that on a real incident. He had not. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't, you know, towns in, uh, you know, New England that were bootleggers that got raided by different feds. No, of course that happened, but the whole idea that the feds came in and took a whole town away. That no, completely Lovecraftian. So another time, and this was more than just like some guy's web press page, um, was in, and I kind of was the one that uncovered this, was in Jeanette Conant's book, A Covert Affair. Now, A Covert Affair is basically two stories. Uh, it's the story about Julia Childs and how she met her husband while they were during World War II, where they were, you know, OSS agents uh, working in Burma, as well as, uh, you know, the story of Jane Foster, who was an OSS agent, who it has since been revealed, and the book kind of defends her, revealed a lot of the secrets to the Soviet Union after the war because she thought that things like the Western nations supporting imperialism was going to lead to the Vietnam War and war in other places. Um, and she was absolutely right. What does this have to do with Lovecraft? Well, she talks the story about how true um, they attempted to fulfill this prophecy in uh, by turning the mighty Iterlata River yellow by covering it with um, dye that the pilots would use when they were shot down for planes to locate them. Uh, and it failed because this was designed for salt water and it sank and nobody realized just how quickly how much water was thrown through the, the river. Um, but he said that she said that in this book that it was developed by uh, a team of uh, of naval people who were in charge of parapsychological research called Delta Green. Delta Green, of course, was the fictitious uh, organization in the you know tabletop game Delta Green, uh, and that's how I actually met. Uh, Adam Scott Glancy, who was a writer, and brought up the attention, and he went with him, and uh, he basically investigated, came up with some researcher just didn't do their job very well, um, and they didn't. The worst that happened was that the book got a few uh, zero star reviews because of it. Now here's a, another urban legend which kind of disappeared. I mean, we all admit. Lovecraft had some faults. He had some pretty serious faults. But he is supposedly have said that 
he thought that Mein Kampf was the best book he'd ever read. Well, he died in, you know, 1937. Mein Kampf didn't come out into English until later than that. And it's he didn't read German, so he could not have read Mein Kampf. One that I had seen a couple times, and I actually, again, sort of dispelled because I, I talked to the person that actually created this, but that the story is that Lovecraft was riding on a train with Bob Kane, who is credited hashtag Bill, Bill Finger was robbed, hashtag I don't even know how to use a hashtag, but um, so that you know, Bob came, recognized Lovecraft, and he just he was his idol. He geeked out and just told him all of these, you know, asked him all these questions, which Lovecraft uncharacteristically accepted, answered graciously until he got off the train site, and that later on, in honor of that meeting, King named Arkham Asylum after Lovecraft. Well, when Arkham Asylum first came out, King, the only real thing he had to do with Batman was cash the checks. He wasn't part of the writing crew. Uh, and the, that story that Arkham Asylum first appeared, also, Lovecraft didn't create Arkham Asylum. Yes, he used it in The Thing at the Doorstep, but it first appears, Lovecraft's friend, uh, Robert E. Howard uses it uh, in uh, the, the People of the Monolith, uh, and Lovecraft is so flattered that he did that, uh, or Arkham Sanitarium, that he used it in uh, The Thing of the Doorstep. Arkham Asylum also first appears in a uh, Denny O'Neill story, and, and I actually heard, again, Denny O'Neill tell this story about, you know, how they came up with the term, and and not, oh, I mean, and they did as an honor to Lovecraft because the guys who were working on most of the DC tiles were huge pulp fans. They were huge Lovecraft fans. But, you know, Bob Kane had nothing to do with it. There's no evidence that Bob Kane ever actually did meet Lovecraft. Okay, another urban legend Necronomicon is a real book. No. Okay, thank you for playing. But now, nah, uh, Lovecraft created the Necronomicon. He's very open. Now, he did create you know, the history of Necronomicon to help other writers. And because he loved things like that. He loved you know, writing backstory and sharing it and with his friends. But the Necronomicon, I mean, yes, absolutely, there were mysterious books. Absolutely, there was the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Absolutely, there were grimoires, but the Necronomicon is a Lovecraft creation. Another one I've heard, and again, it starts you know, online, Lovecraft was a mason. Absolutely no evidence that Lovecraft was a mason I've ever come from. And he was supposed to learn not only just regular mason, but like super mason stories from his father. And now... Was Lovecraft's father a mason? That was a possibility. We don't really have a lot about his father, other than he was basically a traveling salesman. He sold replacement silverware throughout New England to, to restaurants. So 
could his dad have been a mason to help his sales and business? That wouldn't have been uncommon. But there's no evidence that, first of all, he was any type of super mason, but definitely no real evidence that he, if he was, that he shared anything with his son. And, and that's just some of the stories out there about Lovecraft, I'm sure. But if you've got any stories, you know, that you've heard, especially maybe localized rumors, uh, I would love to hear them. So, you know, we invite you to just call in, uh, just hit us up, send us an email, uh, and share some of your favorite Lovecraft urban legends. Okay, I think it's time for the show, and we'll bring back in the other two. This is Dave, uh, Farmer Dave, and um, we're uh, grateful that you spent some time to talk about friend of a friend stories about our friend Lovecraft. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, They've got saxophones, trumpets, drums. They've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host. Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff Victoria Bryce and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. me a db and uh we're talking about john dies in the end this week yes 
So, uh, anyone want to uh, feelings about this movie? I am. So, yes, I have the feelings, but <laughs> I think we need to talk about David Wong. Oh, sure. Yeah, tell us tell us about David Wong. David Wong's name is not David Wong. Yes. His name is Jason Pargan. Okay. And Jason Pargan is most famous for, I mean, he did this under the name David Wong. I think that's what the David Wong persona came up. Sure. But he was the chief editor for Crack.com. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, and one of his chief reporters was John Cheese. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so he went on and, you know, he wrote, um, you know, John Dies at the End and uh, the sequel, uh, This Book is Full of Spiders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but he has also written another series. All right. The Zoe Ash series, okay. which is basically what John Dies at the End does to Lovecraft, mm-hmm, Zoe mm-hmm. Ash does to Cyberpunk. Oh, okay. That's the awesome. first one is futuristic violence and fancy suits. Oh, cool. And the second one is Zoe punches the future in the dick. <laughs> nice. Um, and in the same way, I think that, you know, the John and Dave series kind of yeah. are this loving tribute slash parody of cosmic horror yeah yeah uh, for sure Zoe Ash is the same with, with cyberpunk that's that's a lot of fun to hear that's good to know that that's out there and i have to I have to read that <laughs> now i've heard though there are some differences in the book than the movie okay I'm, and I one do... of them i heard in the book david wong is just a worse character oh yeah. Okay. He's just a, a, a te- he's not this sort of lovable slacker. He he's actually a pretty bad character. But there's a story reason why. Okay. Mm. But uh, which we may or may not spoil. Sure. Yeah. No. Um, seeing things out of the corner of your eyes, people coming back to life, being able to talk into a hot dog. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this movie has it all. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this was, um, I mean, so I'm a big Coscarelli fan, as I've said before. I love like sure. the Phantasm stuff, and I loved all the little cameos of Phantasm people in this, like um, um, Angus Scrim playing like the the doctor, and, you know, it just, uh-huh. it was those kinds of things. And I could feel what was happening was that it was trying to hit, like, there were these notes that had to be hit that made the story John dies at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't have Coscarelli's feel to it, to me. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, it didn't have his heart and soul to it that he normally puts into his movies. Right. So I kind of wondered, is there any like trivia about that? Or is there any thoughts about it? Have did Coscarelli say whether or not he really liked making this film? Um, cause when, but when I saw him at the Hollywood, he wasn't really talking about John dies at the end. He talked about, Ravager and whatnot. Huh. I, you know, I, I don't know heard, anything personally. Yeah, I hadn't heard anything that he was against it. Uh, no, and I didn't he, feel like it was like, it just felt like it didn't have his, I don't know, it just didn't have his, like, he has this vibe that he puts into his work. Yes. Um, 
that I just didn't feel like was there. It was just like, this is kooky and all over the place. And we have to somehow kind of rein it all in. Like, I feel like the movie easily could have ended when we got to the alternate universe. Yeah. And the people with like the eyes wide shut looking masks were Uh walking around. I I mean, I feel like that's a point where I was like, oh, come on movie. Let's keep, let's like keep going. It just changes. It so tonally shifts. Like, consistently throughout the film that it doesn't have like um, a flow, but is the book like that? My understanding, and I have not read the book, but that's my understanding that that is Wong's influence. Okay. 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 And that it's even more that there's these other subplots. Right. And I feel like that's what was happening is that we kept being like, you know how, when the movie starts, you have this feeling of like, am I, fucking missing something like yeah something already happened that i don't know about as an mm-hmm. as like the narrator is telling me this story but i feel like i've come in in the middle of it yeah yeah or or there was a movie before this that i or a web series or something that i didn't see so. yeah, yeah yeah that's kind of my vibe but i have to say there one of my favorite quotes comes out of this movie that i thought was just really kind of amazing you know the character robert marley <laughs> yes when it's still in the soy sauce, he says, time is an ocean, not a garden hose. Space is a puff of smoke, a wisp of cloud. Your mind is a flying corn snake hovering through all possibilities. I just thought that was like kind of in the same vein of like my friend is um, and his giraffe in a coal mine thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. I like that. But uh, one thing I don't like about this movie is their lazy ass ship of Theseus uh, 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 analogy, which is the axe. It's like, no, do something with a lot of parts. Talk about the van. Talk about your house. Uh, talk about like your, you know, like something else that is like has had all of its parts replaced. I mean, you have a, like a bigger montage about weird shit happening, but it's like, oh yeah, it's an axe. It's like that's the axe that kills me. It's like, well, yeah, and I mean, two parts have been replaced. What's that? That's the question of the universe. Yeah. That that's what they that that's is it is it the axe that kills them if it's been replaced? That's the question that the whole universe balances on. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so like you know how um what's his head um that wrote the Discworld stuff? <laughs> yeah. Pratchett? Pratchett, thank you. So you know how Pratchett has this like I'm a kooky vibe, right? Yeah. Yeah. This to me feels like that. Yeah. Uh, spookier. Yeah, yeah. No, it uh, for for me it falls into a category of movies like Ghostbusters, uh this movie, um Shaun of the Dead kind of has that like, you know, it's like if you took out the 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 humor element completely yeah. from Shaun of the Dead, terrifying movie. If you take the hor- uh, the humor elements out of Ghostbusters, fucking terrifying cross-dimensional horror movie. Yeah. If you yeah. take the humor elements out of this movie, oh my god. <laughs> it is it's 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 yeah, if you take the humor elements out of this, it's like a John Carpenter movie <laughs> without the synthesizer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, about, like, or, I like the idea of like the soy sauce and what the soy sauce does, and I like yeah. that it has these this like um, 
all these different kind of uh, properties to it and like whether it can be used as a drug or as it's kind of like the spice melange, right? Like you can yeah. travel through time and space with it or it can really mess you up and you can see the things that we aren't supposed to see or that what our mind perceives. Yeah. And that also yeah. has a from beyond kind of element for me as well. But yeah. that all being said is it just feels really, um, uh, I hate to say schizophrenic for lack of a better term, but like, it's just kind of all over the mm -hmm. place. And like I said earlier. Yeah. And it's, it's like these other things that you mentioned though, they feel like cleaner drugs, like the spice melange, you like smoke it or you snort it. And like, you know, these other like fake mystical drugs or, you know, you, you, you're close to something and it gives you powerful energy or something like that. This stuff, you, you, you shoot up, you shoot up, you slam it into your vein. You use a dirty ass needle with some substance you don't know what it is. And then yeah. it infects your body and it's with you for ever 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 <laughs> like long after you're dead this stuff may be all the essence of your body i think that's interesting in a lot of like i think that's a really interesting i guess MacGuffin. yeah no so, so know what this reminds me of the 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 loud drug from the how the hounds of tenedelos yes 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 definitely Definitely. Yeah, and that always felt like an opioid, uh, an opioid, and this feels like, what if you processed like the Lao drug into like heroin? Mm. It's like and there's a of lot of like Dutch angles and a lot of like zoom ins and that makes it kind of kooky as well. Like that yeah. brings in I don't know. I mean, it's it's like a to me it's a few episodes of. Uh, <laughs> What is it? Um, X Files. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I think it, it was definitely influence. Yeah, it was definitely kind of like filmed like a comedy film, like comedies of that time, how they were filmed. And it doesn't help that it's a bunch of like, "Hey, man, how are you doing? We're easy, easy going guys." Yeah, I'm gonna talk directly to you at the camera and break the fourth wall the whole time. You thought this movie was gonna be serious? It's a mind fuck. It's crazy. Oh yeah, uh, I'm not John. That's John. Yeah. Uh, seeing stuff out of corner of your eyes. Oh, this person wasn't even real the whole time. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything by saying that part, but yeah. I mean, so, this but, movie is 11 years old. Yeah, but the, okay. So, do you know who I love in this movie? Paul Giamatti. No, Clancy Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would, I would sit through a trilogy of Marconi movies. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they kind of buffed him up from the book, from what, what I understand too. Really? Because I, I felt like his character was more of the most interesting characters, and I they didn't give him enough. I wanted yeah. more of him. Oh, well, I mean, he was more powerful in the movie than the book. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That, 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 that you know, he was famous among psychics. But now he's world famous and has Palmer women all over him and, and, <laughs> and waiting to see if he's going to turn evil or good. And and I would love to see a Marconi trilogy. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean by it felt like there were moments where I was like, there's already established things. And what the hell? Like the fact that John and um, Dave are 
um, ghost hunters or whatever. You're like, okay, well, I find that out later. Oh, right? Yeah. Do you guys feel like that was just kind of, I mean, like I was saying earlier about the whole, it feels like it kind of came into this and, um, and there's already something already established that his character was also like that. Like Clancy Brown's character, you're like, I, they barely introduce him as, as if we, we were already expected to know who he yeah. was and be familiar he, with it. He's part of the universe. They're like introducing him into the universe, mm -hmm. I feel, but also kind of like in a cool kind of way, like you're supposed to know who this dude is and you're supposed to know his whole shtick and how powerful he is. But I don't feel like they really quite like get it through in the very beginning. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It just makes it kind of feel all over the place in that. I mean, like I keep saying, but yeah. Yeah. But this <laughs> Somebody is... read that he said that the guy that wrote this is a mashup of Douglas Adams and Stephen King. I'm like, okay, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. With no. a little bit of Terry Pratchett, in my opinion. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It does go off in ways that you, it's 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 a twisty road that has a fair amount of humor, but um, it doesn't have that like English brand of humor that Pratchett really is kind of like yeah. really heavy with. This is more like kind of like I want to say like eighties, nineties, like new wave humor, kind of like yeah, dude, kind of like feel to it. But it's also very kind of, uh, it's, it's, I feel like it's, I think it's also a take on the millennial slacker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. But I, but I do have, before we go, I do have a, a, a trivia fact. It's something they had to change from the book. Oh, what's that? What's that? So the book, the dog's name is Molly. Okay. But the best actor dog turned out to be male, so they changed his name to Barkley. <laughs> okay. So because, they, because they just fell in love with this, this male dog. Oh, that's funny. That's pretty cool. Oh, I just read a review real quick that says um, Mark LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle praised Giamatti's acting as the only good part of this film and raising it from worst movie ever made to one of the worst of 2013. Damn. <laughs> That's rude. I have to, I have I wouldn't to say go that I far. Love, I love this. I, I, I love the sets in this movie. I think the acting is funny as hell. Um, it's... It, it, at times, it seems like it's just a series of vignettes because of like time hopping and stuff like that. Mm. It sets it up as a series of vignettes that don't actually have to ever make sense, and it also has that kind of like Bill and Ted feel to it. It it, it yeah. it's Bill, I don't know Bill how to and describe Ted it. Shining. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like uh, yeah. Actually, that's great. That's great. Bill and Ted meets The Shining. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 like two dudes who happen to be like ghost hunters or cult detectives and stuff. And I know for a fact if my best totally friend and I Cthulhu characters. Oh yeah. I know if my best friend and I did that for a living, we'd mostly just show up at people's house, laugh at them for thinking that there were ghosts and leave and then like hear later about how they died in the house and go Oh man. <laughs> okay, we'll take the next one more serious. What's that? And then haunted by them? 
No, probably not. They'd have to find out where we live. <laughs> I think that's how it works with ghosts. They have to find out where you live. Uh, th- you know, that's that's how you end up with ghosts, like haunting banks. Okay. <laughs> John dies at the end. Yeah. Or does he? Um, or does he, right? Or does he? But yeah, no, I mean, like, the cinematography in this is great. I, I, I love the lighting, you know, it's, and I love how, like, when they're in different worlds, the lighting will change drastically. And this helps you know that you have moved into a different, a different space of time or a different world. And it's, it's, it's really awesome. Um, I don't know. Um, naked people are funny. Boobs are awesome. Um, butts are funny. So, so I do, so I do know that that was a change from the, the book. Uh huh. In the book, all the naked people are like older and middle aged people. Okay. All right. Oh, even more terrifying. <laughs> well, I thought there was a pretty good cross section, but I, I don't know. Um, I just thought it was it was funny that there's about a good like, I want to say ten minute chunk of the movie where there's just a bunch of naked people in the background. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm 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 thirteen. <laughs> uh anyhow but yeah john dies at the end great movie uh and any 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 feelings uh how do you how do you feel about this movie in general you know i i i love it because i i i need some humor in my horror sure yeah or at least sometimes definitely definitely what are your thoughts Oh, yeah. I liked it. I mean, it's not my, like I've said before, it's not my favorite Coscarelli film. Um, I thought he made some really great choices as far as um, some of the casting, like I said, like using Clancy Brown, using Paul Giamatti, using Mm -hmm. um, Angus Scrim. Like those were like some, oh, my heart. I love those moments. But Uh overall, it's it's not a film I want, want, like it's not a comfort film. I don't go back and watch it. This is the first time I've watched it probably in about five years. Uh And yeah, it's just, um, it's just kind of like, it's a little bit messy for me as far as stories. Like Mm -hmm. I get a little lost and I'll be like, if I accidentally looked out of my phone, I'm going, what the hell just happened? Yeah. 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 That is definitely true with this movie. To me, I don't like, (laughs) even though I know I shouldn't be on my damn phone, but I'm at home. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think I have a high tolerance to bad CGI and messy movies and not that there was bad CGI for the time. Yeah, there was some. I am notoriously not forgiving for a uh, low budget CGI because if you can't spend the money on CGI, do it practically, practically. I mean, yeah, it might be tough, but, you know, do it. Uh, it's it's better than and it's going to age better than bad CGI. Uh, I I like I like the film. I think it's a fun like buddy film. Uh, I have fun watching it. Uh, it's, you know, I may have mentioned this before. Uh, in in the past, my brother and I thought we were going to be like occult detectives or like ghost hunters. And one of my buddies thought that, you know, we'd all be like going around the country, like fighting crime and like, you know, showing up to towns and setting th- things straight with a local sheriff. Somewhere between like Ghostbusters and the A-Team. but With then- your Great Dane in your van? <laughs> I mean, I did grow up raising Great Danes, but yeah, no, we didn't have a Great Dane because we didn't want to, like, 
give off that kind of vibe. We wanted to be like serious, like I don't know. What ended up being supernatural years after <laughs> years or years before supernatural came out. But yeah. That's what it been like we came up with this idea in like ninety two or something like that of being like, Yeah, we were gonna and I think back at it now, it's like I think I was sixteen, I should have known better that you can't just be an adventurer, you have to make money somehow. <laughs> It's never too late to live out your dream. Oh, I know. I know. I, need, I just need someone to uh, uh, finance it. But So if anyone's <laughs> out there and wants to finance me being a, a cult adventurer, I mean, contact us at pgttcm.com, and uh, we're ready to believe you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. John Ties at the end. It was a good, good movie. I liked it. It has its problems. Um, I don't find it a comfort film. I've seen it a lot for a lot of different reasons. Um, but yeah, yeah, you wouldn't think it, but it does make a good makeout movie because it's confusing and you want to make out instead of watching it. Oh. <laughs> I would say um, this to me overall reminds me of um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but yet horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. It just has that kind of vibe. Maybe it's maybe I'm not too, the target audience here. I don't know. You're not know. the target audience, and it feels like it's trying too hard to be too cool. Yes, yep, yes. Yep, yep. That's it. Yeah. All right. But so, overall, I, I, I think it's a fun one. My bad. Cool. <laughs> Does anyone have anything cool to recommend this week? Um, um, I just I, watched Marcel the Shell. As a palate cleanser oh, cool. after watching the movie Men, which do not, don't, don't waste All your right. time. I mean, there's an amazing performance by the the main actor and um and men, but it's it just, it's what a what a disaster. But Marcel Deschamps, adorable, amazing, loved it, loved every moment, it very heartfelt, wonderful, good palate cleanser. Uh, do you know the 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 voice behind it who who does it and any of her work? I know that Isabella Rossellini does the grandma. Yeah, uh, it's uh, oh man, I can't remember her name. She was on Nick uh, Nick Roll show a lot, um, but she plays a lot of like crazy characters on like uh, Comedy Bang Bang, the radio show, and like uh, she was on Parks and Recreation playing like. Uh, Are you uh, talking about Jenny Slate? Jenny Slate, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The one that's like, give me money. Yeah, yeah. Jenny yeah. Slate's Marcel the Shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's a awesome. Voice of she's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Very cool. Very cool. I love Marcel the Shell. Uh, Dave, uh, anything you want to recommend this week? Uh, I'm really still enjoying uh, Secret Invasion. Oh, cool. You cool. Did. I need to, I need to watch that. And you, you, obviously, you want to watch them in order. Uh -huh. But episode three is a good, solid 60s, 70s spy show with shape-changing aliens. Very cool. Very cool. And a lot a lot of twists. Very cool. Uh, I really want to recommend season, I think, 16 of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Not, not a, you know, it doesn't have any superheroes, doesn't have any, you know, just has a bunch of dirtbags. But it's gone back. I mean, it, it's like... Everyone kept elevating, like, and becoming more extreme and more extreme versions of themselves and more extreme versions and more extreme versions. And now everything's back to zero. 
They just are like kind of like middle-aged dirtbags who hang out at a bar all the time that they own some stake in, and they have an old guy who they're friends with uh, who pays for their schemes because uh, he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't want anyone to get his money. So and he, he likes being a dirtbag, so he's going to pay for the schemes of these kids, two of which used to be his, he thought were his biological kids, but he knows now that's not true. Uh, a lot more grounded stuff, uh, less way crazy, wacky hijinks. It's it's like kind of feels like first and second season, but yeah, yeah, it's it's more realistic. It's less more wacky. It's less more like jumping on a trend and exploding with it. It's 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 it's. Uh, I think it's like an old return to form, which is kind of hard for a show to do. But if you want to keep going, I guess you have to change and go with the flow i don't know if either of you watched that show mm. i i love it but also hate it at the same time because the characters are really gross but i don't know it's like since i don't I, I don't watch like daytime television anymore it's like it's always sunny in philadelphia kind of covers that that grossness but anyway <laughs> okay All right, right on yeah so I guess that's it for this week. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Gretchen, Dave, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Yeah. What are we watching next week? Oh, man. Uh, I think we're watching Life Force. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. And I can't remember what the, uh, the, the Cthulhu thing is. So Space Vampires with Boobs. Uh, I, I, I think we have Lance Hendrickson in this. Lance, Lance yeah, that, Hendricks. Some really great slash terrible puppets. I mean, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Uh, it's people Toby you don't Cooper. expect to see in this movie or in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's oh, it's um, Star Vampires. Star Vampires. Oh wow. Oh yeah. There's a reason I I, I paired these two movies, but yeah. Hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week, everyone. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, PGTTCM. Just look for us. You'll find us. Uh, you can find Gretchen at Gretchen is Weird on Instagram. Dave still has Dave's Quarter of the Universe, but he hasn't updated it since the pandemic. So I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, that's because I focus on this show. That's yeah. good to hear. That's what I want to hear. All right. But, uh, and yeah, you can check out everything else that Dave does on this show. So if you want to see Dave's past stuff, always go to Dave's Corner of the Universe. And you can check me out, PGTTCM, DB Spitzer. That's me. And we'll see you all next week. Thank oh, you so much. And we'll be at WasabiCon. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're yes. going to be at WasabiCon in Portland, Oregon. What are the dates? July 30th, 4 o'clock. Yeah. July 30th, 4 o'clock. All right. And that's going to be at the Oregon Convention Center or uh, the... Uh... No, it's going to be at the hotel. Oh, which hotel? It, it, it's a hotel convention. And we'll get more information. Or you can just go to WasabiCom PDX. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to be doing Lovecraft in Japan. Ooh, super cool, super cool. All right. Okay, well, we'll talk to you next time, everyone. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye again. That was a good episode. Yeah, okay, that was I'll fun. get this over to you, and then I'll get you the that uh, Lovecraft. Uh, uh, 
uh, urban legends. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. awesome. All right. All right. Have a good one, y'all. And I'll right. talk to you See next week. See you guys next week. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.